In order to grasp uh, chapter 6, we have to go back to chapter 5, verses 20 to the end of the chapter. Remember we looked at last week, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright? Now going into chapter 6, Paul deals with a hypothetical question that was going to come up out of what he just said. He just said that the law was added so trespass might increase, but where the sin increased, grace increased all the more. Alright? And so then this hypothetical question he knows is going to come up. And there's a, there's a preacher out there called Les Feldick. And if you've ever heard of him, he's a very, very good Bible teacher. Les Feldick says that if you present the gospel and someone doesn't ask you, so you're saying that I can then sin? He said, you haven't presented the gospel truly. If that question doesn't come up, you haven't truly presented the gospel. Because the, gr- the grace of God and the forgiveness and the justification through faith alone in Jesus Christ and the fact that you are given righteousness and it's eternal and it's secure is such an incredibly wonderful doctrine. If someone doesn't say, so you're saying that I'm honestly forgiven and whatever I do, if they don't ask that question, you haven't truly presented the gospel. Alright, we're going to get into that in a lot more detail tonight. But he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may may increase? But we're going to stop there. And what I want you to do is I want to deal with, real quickly, this one concept. Alright? The Bible says that no matter how much sin there is, grace increases above it. It doesn't matter how much sin you've committed, how much sin there is in the world, the grace of Christ will supersede it. Okay, we have to get that understood first of all. But in order to do that, we have to deal with something. The Bible does say, though, that there is one sin that God will not forgive. Now, hopefully when you tell people about salvation, you let them know that there doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter if it's been rape, murder, incest, all the worst things you can think of, God will forgive. And I remember talking with this one man who actually, he had served in the military and he had done some things that he wouldn't even dare tell me what he had done. But under orders, he had done some things in serving overseas that he just said, Jim, there's no way God will ever forgive me for some of the things I've done. Under orders, some of the things I've done have been so vile. He said, it's so wicked, God will never forgive me. I remember asking this man, I said, well, you ever heard of the man David? He said, yeah. I said, do you think David's in heaven? And he said, well, of course. And we talked to him about the fact that David had not only committed adultery, he then had the guy get drunk to try to cover up his sin, and then he had him put to death because he wouldn't cover up his sin. I said, you ever heard of a man named Moses? And he said, well, yeah, I've heard of Moses. I said, you think Moses is in heaven? It was coarse. I said, did you know Moses killed a man with his bare hands and then buried him in the dirt to try to hide it? The guy's eyes got real big. And we had a wonderful chance to lead this young man to the Lord named Perry. And he came to faith in Christ when he realized it didn't matter what he did, God would forgive him. Yet the Bible does teach, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, that there is one sin that God will not forgive. And I want you to understand that, because it's been actually a passage of confusion for many years. Somebody read for us chapter 12, verses 31 and 32 in the, in the book of Matthew. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven now, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the only place you'll see God say, you won't forgive So now we better find out, what is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to speak against the Holy Spirit? You can speak against Jesus, he says. He's saying, you speak against me all you want. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's the only sin that God will not forgive, not in this life and in the life to come. So the question now comes, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Now, for years people have said that they say, well, God go to hell or those types of things. You just committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to understand is, from an understanding of the, of the Scriptures, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only sin that God can forgive, is when He draws you by His Holy Spirit to come to Him in faith, and you say no to that. That's the only sin God won't forgive. Now the good news is, is God doesn't only give us one chance. 
Those of us who have come to him realize he's been drawing us for many years. But yet the Bible does teach that there will be a point where the Spirit will stop drawing you. My Spirit will not always strive with man, God says. There will come a point where he stops drawing you. When that point happens, if you have not said yes, you will not be forgiven. You will spend eternity separated from God in, in the place that the Bible describes as hell, which is very, very real. I had a lady used to call me when I was pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic. She used to call like once a month, all concerned. I talked to the pastor. I think I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I could be saved. And I really need to talk to you. And it didn't matter what you said to her. She would not be convinced. Until finally one day I said, let me ask you a question. Why do you even care? If you're so sure you're going to hell, why do you care? I mean, if you're going to hell, you're going to hell. She goes, the fact that I actually am concerned means God's probably still drawing me. And I said, yes. Now quit calling me. But it wasn't until I helped her realize if you're going to hell, you wouldn't care. If the fact that you care means God's still pricking your heart. And she realized she hadn't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in that. And so I want you to understand. Go, go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 12. Look at verse 3. We know in John 6, 44, we've already looked at this in prior times, that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. You know. But now here in 1 Corinthians 12, someone verse, read verse 3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says... Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Who's the only one that opens your eyes to who God really is and who Jesus is? The Holy Spirit of God. If you reject His opening your eyes to the truth, and you reject His offer of salvation through Jesus alone, that's the only sin God can't forgive. Actually, He probably could, but He won't. He has already predetermined that He will not forgive that. That's the only sin He won't forgive. Now, can you think of any other sin that he won't forgive? It doesn't matter a lot. What if you sin it a lot? Well, let's just say there's a certain sin he'll forgive. But what if you do it 150 times? I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Yes, that's right. Exactly. We're all in trouble, not just Scott. But that's true. It doesn't matter. And that's what Paul has just laid the foundation. Go back to Romans 5. That's the foundation he's just laid. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned or what kind of sin you've committed. The grace of God supersedes it. Remember, we looked last week at how one man's sin affected all of us, but one man's act of righteousness will just cover all of it. And it doesn't matter how much you sin. So, the hypothetical question comes up, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I'm going to read uh, to uh, verse, end of verse 14, and we're going to break it down. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul said. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, but anyone who has died, sorry, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, it's a wonderful passage, but most of us probably sitting here going, I'm so glad he's going to explain it. <laughs> because as you read it in and of itself, it, it doesn't sink in. Let's be honest. As you read it, it doesn't sink in. That's okay, folks. Don't feel bad. When you read the scripture sometimes and you go, I didn't get it. And then you read it again and you go, I didn't get it. And you read it again. Sometimes it's going to be that way and that's part of how God has designed things for lots of reasons. One, sometimes he reveals his word to us at times. 
There might be times that he hasn't intended for you to grasp this at this moment. Also, that's why he uses people like me. You know, those who have been gifted and called to teach and to preach the Word of God. So don't panic if you come to a passage and go, I don't get it. Other times, he might want you to dig. He might want you to dig. And so don't go into a panic mode if you don't grasp this. We're going to try to break this down. It says if grace increases no matter how much sin, how about increasing our sin or continuing sinning to receive more grace? Now before we get in Yeah, before we get into the answer for this though, before we get into the answer to this question, I want to point out something to you. Notice how Paul does not take this opportunity to warn of us losing our salvation. If there was ever an opportunity for the Bible to teach that you could lose your salvation by continuing sinning, this was Paul's opportunity. So don't let anybody try and teach you that you can lose your salvation. If there was an opportunity, Paul had it right here. Should we go on sinning so we get more grace? Paul would have said, be careful. Because there will come a point where you can walk out of this salvation. Or he doesn't say that. So I want you to let that sink in right now. If, there was, if that was a true doctrine, Paul would have taught it right here. It's not. Salvation is a gift of God. It doesn't matter how much you sin. God is going to be able, is able to save you. All right? But in essence, here's the question. I found a man who rephrased the question pretty well, and I like this. It's, he put it this way. He said, if God's grace is so overflowing to sinners, we need not worry about our sins and obedience to God. In other words, if God's grace to sinners is so overflowing and so wonderful, we don't need to worry about how we live. How we live really shouldn't make a difference, right? I mean, whether we good or bad, whether we sin or don't sin, what does it matter? And this is what Paul is dealing with. All right? God's grace opens the door of salvation to everyone. But it opens the door for sinning to no one. I'm going to say that again. God's grace opens the door of salvation to everyone. It opens the door to sinning to no one. All right? But how he goes about this is, you, he doesn't say you better not. He says you don't understand what has happened. And if I ever had a chance to go back and with the things that God's taught me over the last few years even more to go back and counsel if you will with some people in churches over the years I would have said this phrase a whole lot more dealing with some folks as they struggle with certain areas of their walk with the Lord you don't understand what has happened with your salvation and so tonight what I want to do is I want to take some time to really help us understand what really has happened in our salvation, in our receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He says then, how can someone who has died to sin's power continue, continue to live in habitual sin? So I want you to put a bookmark here in Romans. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And as you turn there, I'm going to read to you verse 2 again. By no means, I answer that question, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Who were there buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a, what kind of life? A new life. Now someone read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Read for us one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Well, that's what I want to deal with. When you got saved, when Jesus Christ forgave your sins because of your faith, and he gave you righteousness, and he put his spirit within you, you became a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we're going to really hammer that home today. But a lot of Christians feel like they're the same person, just forgiven. I'm really the same old person, I'm just forgiven now. And what I want you to understand is, and there's lots of people out there that might even teach differently, but I believe the Bible is very, very clear in this subject, if you're willing to take some time and really look at it. The old you is gone. You're not a two-nature person now, with an old nature and a new nature, and we're going to get into next week. We don't have time tonight. We're going to get into next week why we still struggle with temptation, why we still struggle with sin. But tonight I want to just lay the foundation for you. You are a new person, a new creation in Jesus Christ. 
Alright? For those of you that might think that you're still two natures, the old nature, but now you also have the nature of Christ within you, I'm going to ask you a simple question. If you still think you have your old nature, who died or what died? If you still think you've got your old nature, nothing died. But for those of us who come to understand, you have a new nature. It is you are a new creation. What died was the old you. Now, well, Jim, I still struggle with sin. Am I not saved? No. We'll get to that next week. I'm not going to be here next week. Well, you'll have to listen online. You'll have to listen online to the, 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 the recording that's going to be on the website. But <laughs> ask him quiet and submission at home, and he'll do it. <laughs> but I want you to get this hammered into your heads, and we're going to deal with this tonight and do that. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are born again. You aren't the same old Chris fixed. You're a new Chris, a new whoever, alright? So, let's break some scriptures down here. Uh, let's all turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And when you really come to understand the fact that you're a new creation, you come to realize how foolish the question is, so we go on sinning, so we get more grace? It actually becomes laughable. I like how you put that. It's laughable. It's, you're thinking like the old person. We're not the old person. Somebody read for us verses 1 through 4 of the book, uh, third, uh, third, chapter 3 of Colossians. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear in the Look at verse 3. What does it say in the first three words? For you died. You died. Not slumped over. Not took a nap. Because of what Christ has done in your salvation, you died. You are a new person. Alright? See, Satan, he doesn't want us to understand salvation as a gift. But if he can keep us from grasping that, and what are some of the ways he keeps us from accepting that salvation is a free gift given to us by God? What are some of the ways he tries to keep us from? Busyness. Works. Doubting. Continued temptation. Continued temptation. The world level is too easy. It's too easy. That's right. You feel like you've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. And I'm a good person. You've heard me say before, Satan's out there trying to convince sinners they're saints and saints they're sinners. You know? And you talk to most people who don't know the Lord. You go to heaven, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Hope so. I'm, I'm, they think that's going to get them there. But once Satan has been defeated in the area of keeping us from realizing but salvation is a free gift. And when we say yes to Jesus in faith, his next tactic is to do what? Cause you to doubt whether or not it really happened. Or convince you it's not all it's not all done or all that some may say it is. You're still going to do your part. And folks, I want you to walk out of here with the joy of knowing and only this and that is the Spirit of God opens your heart and your mind to some of these scriptures. When you got saved, I'm not, you say, Jim, you don't understand what happened, what I've been like after. We'll deal with that next week. Just deal with the scriptures. You died when you got saved. You're a new creation. And that's why Paul here is saying, since you have already been raised with Christ. Someone real quick, go to Ephesians. There's just a couple books back. Go to Ephesians, read verse, chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Does it say he's going to see us in the heavenly realms or has already? Can someone explain that to us? Yeah, and also the fact that God says God's outside of time, he already sees the finished product. There's a neat, neat interesting uh, story in, in, in the book of Second Kings where um, this 
young king becomes the king, Josiah. Not they've ever heard of King Josiah in the study of the kings. Well, he's a young boy, and he actually is one of the rare kings that actually believes in God and, and worships God. And he decides he's going to wipe out all the altars and all the false idols that have been worshipped in Israel. And he goes to this one high place, and he goes to destroy this idol. And as he's about to destroy it, he looks around and he sees all these tombs around it. And he says, whose tombs are these? And then he was told, well, these are the, the bones of all the priests who used to serve at this altar, at this high place. He said, take the bones out of the tombs. And he burned their bones on the altar. As he's doing this, he sees another tomb. And he said, well, whose tomb is that? And they go, well, that's actually the prophet who said you were going to do this. <laughs> See, the king didn't even know this. Josiah didn't even know it. And if you then look in that passage and you do a study and you go back to First Kings, 300 years earlier, there's a story of a prophet who was sent by God, and we don't even know the prophet's name. And he was told by God, I want you to go into, into Israel. I want you to proclaim this to this king that, well, he's standing there at this altar, that one day a king named just Josiah is going to burn bones on this altar and desecrate it and destroy it. Now, this, king, this prophet, I mean, was also told, and then once you make your prophecy, don't go home the way you came. If someone invites you to eat with them, don't go. Remember all this stuff. And then, of course, this other prophet tricks him and said, well, God told me to tell you. And he listened, and he went and ate with him, and then because of that, he was eaten by a lion on the way home or whatever. Well, they took his bones, and they buried his bones right by this altar. 300 years before it ever happened, that prophet, through speaking the voice of God, the Word of God says, a king named Josiah will do this. Now, the nation of Israel had become so wicked, they didn't even know what the Word of God said. And so when Josiah becomes king, he just goes and does what is on his heart. But God had already said 300 years prior that he was going to do that. Folks, God already sees it all. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that when you got saved, because of the foreknowledge of God, you have been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenly realms. Are you going to be there? Instead of saying, yeah, I will be, you could say, I am, in a sense. Yeah, my heart's already there for sure. <laughs> so, since you have already been raised with Christ, put your mind where it belongs. You're, you're not that person anymore. Well, I feel like that person sometimes. You ever feel like that per- the old person still? I do. It doesn't change your fact. You know? The fact that the Bible says is you are a new person and you died. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Oh, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with Him in glory. It's guaranteed. It's taken care of. Let's take a look at another one. Go to Galatians. Chapter 2. Let me read verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And delivered himself. By the way, this is not a mantra that that Paul would repeat to make himself feel better. This is truth. And it's time that we actually started putting the truth into our hearts and into our minds. Because, oh, by the way, uh, is there not someone who's still whispering in our ear lies? And do we not sometimes fall prey to those whispers and how we feel? You have to understand the truth in the Word of God, and that's how you're able to take your stand against the devil's schemes, Ephesians 6, 10, and following says, you didn't know the Word of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of Truth. You need to understand what the Word of God says. Alright? But here he said, again, I've been what? Crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I'm a new person now. For the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself or delivered himself up for me. Alright? Now, go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 
Actually, we're going to read this verse back up and go to verses 9, 10, and 11. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. All right. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We hope, hopefully we'll understand that. Was Jesus 100% God? Alright, I mean that one we shouldn't really wrestle with. Hopefully we understand that. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Yep. So, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, His divine nature, has given us, or divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Alright, but now we're going to deal with verse 11 here. There's a, there's a very interesting thing going on here, and, and uh, we're going to talk about this circumcision thing. Alright, we're going to deal with this a little bit. And uh, I'm actually going to read to you from uh, Steve McVeigh's Grace Walk uh, workbook, uh, pages 108 and 109, because how he describes this is such, it's actually it's put so well, I'm not even going to try to explain it, I'm just going to read it to you. He talks about this verse, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Alright? He says, It doesn't get any clearer in Scripture than this illustration of circumcision. That happens when skin is cut away from a man at the place on his body from which life originates. When that piece of skin is cut away, it never grows back. Now, isn't that interesting? Both of us have lost some skin on our body a time or two. What happens? It grows back. But when you circumcise somebody, that skin never grows back. Keep that in mind. Circumcision was the covenant sign that God had with his people in the Old Testament. Every man acknowledged God's covenant with him in that way. In the New Covenant, God still uses circumcision as a sign of his covenant with us, although it isn't physical circumcision anymore. Colossians 2.11 explains that God has performed a circumcision on us as his covenant sign with us. This circumcision is different from the old covenant circumcision because it is performed without hands. What God has miraculously done is to reach down inside of you and cut away the source from which your old life was generated. He has circumcised you spiritually. He has removed the old nature, the source of your old life. The Bible says it's never going to grow back. You are not a sinner saved by grace. The nature that made you a sinner has been cut away. You are a saint. Don't call yourself a sinner anymore. I'm not suggesting that you never sin anymore, but that your identity as a sinner has been removed by the cross. I remember one time when we were in New Orleans, the choir sang a special one Sunday. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And everybody clapped and everybody cheered and it was a powerful song and... I remember myself even thinking, yes, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Have you ever heard that one before? It's not true. Part of the reason why the church is living the way we are, part of the reason why the church is so weak, is because we're still in our own strength, thinking we're the same old person, we're just forgiven, trying to be good Christians. And you can't. The first way you begin to live this new life is to acknowledge you have it. Not, I've been forgiven and now I've got to be a good Christian for for God. I am not the person I was before. But Jim, I I still feel like that person. That doesn't make a difference, folks. I'm sorry, I don't want to belittle your feelings. But it doesn't make a difference. It's not the truth. Are there some days you don't feel saved? Does that mean you're not? Feelings should not determine what the truth is. The Word of God is. The Word of God says you are a new creation. Now, we're going to deal. Go here in Colossians chapter 2. I didn't have you read verse 12, but now we're going to. You're going to see him say something here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, that parallels with what he just talked about in Romans chapter uh, chapter 6. Look at verse verse 12. Having been buried, buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. All right, I'm going to read it again. 
having been, we, 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 we go back to verse 11, it said, with circumcision done with, not by the hand, not with, by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, go back to Romans chapter 6. Paul used this baptism illustration to illustrate why we shouldn't think that we go on sinning and grace may increase. That it's just a foolish way, it's laughable, as Becky said, to even think of it that way. We're a new person. Alright? Now, after looking at all these scriptures that show that you are not who you were before, let's go back and reread this and see if it makes a little more sense. Shall we, shall we say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, there has been debate over the years as to this term baptism. Was it talking your water baptism, or was it talking your being put into Christ when you got saved? And the best explanation I can give you is, I think it's both. Because you have to understand that back in the time when this was written, baptism was your profession of your faith. Nowadays, we say, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer. And then we talk to you later, counsel you about being baptized to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Well, back then, and by the way, you will not find pray this prayer anywhere in the Bible. Back then, when the message of salvation and faith in Jesus Christ was presented, if you were, say, Janet, sitting there and saying, I, I, I believe it, I want to trust Christ, we wouldn't say pray this prayer, we'd say, let's head to the ocean. That was your prayer. It was your public identification with Jesus Christ. As you were put into the water, you were signifying, the old me is gone, I'm a new person. And that's what baptism and your profession of your faith or your being saved were one of the same thing almost. Over the years, for lots of different reasons, baptism has been something we've done after salvation to identify with Christ and all. But the picture of baptism is what? Dying with Christ, raised to what? Not the same person anymore. New creation. That's what the word Greek baptizo actually means to dip in or to dunk under. And so baptism said, Oh, me's gone, I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. That's what it's a picture of. Sad thing is, as many of us have been baptized, very few of us understand that we're a new creation. Oh, well, forgive. Now, I'm going to go to heaven because Jesus has given me forgiveness, but we don't understand that that's not who we are anymore. Do you realize nowadays we still judge each other by what we do? We measure each other by performance. I mean, Jim, when you see other guys, don't we typically say, Hey, Jim, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Right? If I were to say to you, Who's Michael Jordan? You'd say, He's a basketball player. Actually, it's not who he is. It's just something he does. But we kind of rate each other and judge each other by what we do. Actually, the Bible says that God does not judge us by what we do. He judges us by who we are. Or whose we are. Or whose we are. It's whose and who. Because the whose has changed the who. You know? Verse 4 in the NAS ends with, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you hear that? Verse 4 in the NAS says, so that we may what? We too may walk in newness of life. You know? And before I move on, does anybody else want to ask a question? Do you want to add something to this? Because I know I've been hammering here, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit. Go ahead. You know what? Over the years since I have begun more to understand who we are in Christ, I have said, if we call ourselves a sinner, the power that's in that, word, those words, we consider ourselves continuing to live in sin. You know, if we call ourselves a child of the king, wow, how do we live? We begin to live more like the child of the king. So I think for all reasons, God doesn't want us to consider ourselves that anymore, that sinner's. That's exactly what Paul is saying in his answer to this question. Well, so you're saying when you sin, so we get more grace? I just don't, I, it doesn't matter how I live. Paul said, well, I'm not that person anymore. You're not that person anymore. So, 
That's a stupid question. <laughs> That's pretty much what he's saying. It's a stupid question. You're asking a question from the standpoint of someone who doesn't understand the new life. There's a young man, I say young, he, he, a man, uh, I'd say he was probably in his late 40s, early 50s, uh, in church in Chicago. The, the church had been praying for years that George would come to know Jesus as his Savior. Then his wife was a believer, his children were believers. He came every Sunday, didn't miss a service. But we would talk to him about trusting Christ as his Savior, and he'd say, Jim, I want to, but I know me. I won't change. He says, I want to. I sit there and he would weep at the invitations, wanting to be saved. But he couldn't say yes to Jesus because he knew, I don't want to make a commitment that I know I won't keep. And I finally sat down with George and I said, look, you're trying to understand what life is going to be like on this side, from this side. And you can't. You either have to trust that Jesus is going to make that change in you, or you can't. Well, it wasn't until after I left that church and came down here to Indiana to be pastor that George finally trusted Christ as his Savior. And I remember hearing that George had walked down the church erupt, said, you know, and, and uh, I called him up and I said, you're a bum. I, I, worked, I worked my tail off on you for how many years? I prayed for you. You go and do that while I'm gone. This is what he said. He said, you were right. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm such a different person. I'm not even old. I'm not even close to who I was before. Oh, he said, I used to worry about whether or not I could love my wife as a Christian was supposed to love her wife. He goes, it's easy. It's just made it such a difference. I'm not even that person anymore. It was awesome. He came to understand the new creation that he was and what Jesus had done. But for too long, too long, too many of us have been taught that it's on us to go live the Christian life. Now, I'm going to take a second here and deal with something. We have already dealt with here in Romans the fact that we know that the law was given to us, not in hopes that we would live it, but to show us we can't. Correct? It was to hit what righteousness looks like. Good luck. Right? That, that was pretty much what the law was given to us for. Right? Here's what righteousness looks like. Good luck. Once you realized you couldn't do it, you understood, I can't do this. Jesus, you have to give me righteousness. And you're ready to be saved. What we don't understand is the, the rules didn't change after salvation. And so for years, all these commands in the New Testament, such as in Ephesians chapter 6, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I have, as a Christian, set out to try to be that kind of husband. You can ask Becky later, because we're on tape right now. I don't want her to answer this. But she, how's, how'd that work out for you, you know? I have not done great. I tried now I've come to realize the commands of the New Testament are just like the law in the Old Testament. They're showing me what God wants to accomplish through me that only He can produce. So now instead of me saying, I need to go love my wife, which the preachers always say, go love your wife as well, Christ love the church, or here's the command, do this. And we strive. And we know we're saved because of His promise, but we're still not seeing His power in our life. We're not seeing the change life. We're not seeing us live the commands and we try to, we try to, we keep following. I've come to realize now just like the law was saying, this is not what you can do, but what I will do for you, this is now what I look at. When the scripture says, Jim, love your wife as Christ loved the church, I'll say, Lord, this is now what you're going to have to do through me. I believe you will. But now I'm resting in Him doing it, not me. So I shared with you before, I'm, I was giving up trying to get better as a Christian. When I finally stopped trying to get better, I got better. And I learned to rest in Him doing it through me. But the first step was understanding that I'm not the same old guy who's been forgiven. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to learn all over again. If you, you talk, I'd love to have you say it. We've been born again. When you got born the first time, <clears throat> did you not have to learn how to live that life? Yeah. How to walk, how to crawl, how to do whatever, how to feed yourself. Oh, by the way, it's the same thing. You are a new creation. You're going to have to learn how to live this new life in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible talks about starting with milk and working your way to meat in time. You're a new creation. And if you've been a Christian for many years and this is a new concept to you, don't beat yourself up. But don't be afraid of saying, I'm ready to start today, letting him teach me what this new life is really all about.
but it starts with you acknowledging I'm not who I was before. Now, with that in mind then, he says in verse 11, that's what we just dealt with how, because Jesus died, sin has no power over him anymore. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Can somebody rewrite that for us? Paraphrase that for me. Believe yourself dead. Acknowledge the truth. Believe yourself to be dead. I like how you say that. Again, this isn't some kind of a... This what yours says, believe? No, it's got right right there. So this teaching here at home is quite this is working real well. Man, that's great. But, uh, but that's the whole point. It, this isn't a convince yourself, fool yourself into believing. This is accept the truth. You're dead to sin. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, okay, if I'm dead to sin, why is it still going to pull on me? You have to come back next week. I've got to finish laying the foundation. Let's go on to chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. All right? Chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Go ahead read that for us. Read that whole section, and we'll break it down. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive to benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright, now we've heard the term a lot. You're not under law, but under grace. When usually we hear this, we think of, well, I'm not being judged by whether or not I keep the law, I'm now under grace. But we really don't understand there's an aspect of grace we don't talk about much. And the best way to illustrate to you is to ask you this question. Does the, does the law help you live a, a, a righteous life? It shows you that you can't. It shows you you can't, and it actually fuels sin. We've looked at before. When the law says, and we'll deal with that more in chapter 7, you know, don't covet, all of a sudden now you want to covet. Okay? It says, well, like every one of us, if I were to say to you, I dare you step over this line, or don't step over this line, what's now, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to step over the line. It's just the way it is. When someone sets down the law, we want to break the law. It's part of sin that's in our flesh. Um, and I gave you a little hint uh, for next week. But the law doesn't help you. Grace does. See, a lot of us here are not under law but under grace. And we realize that we're forgiven. We're not being judged by the law. We've been given this gift of salvation. But we still think we have to now live this new life. I want you to understand from Scripture tonight that being under law, so not under law but under grace, also means that God will live this life through you. He will live this life through you. So, put a bookmark here in Romans 6. Go to Titus chapter 2. That's a book. And the, the easy thing about finding Titus is in the T section. You got the first and second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, and Titus. So that's how one of the ways I always remember where Titus is. Go to the T section. Titus two what? Chapter two, verses eleven and twelve. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See that? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, but not only that, it teaches us. It teaches us to say no. It doesn't command us to say 
no. It teaches us how to say no. And that's one of the big steps to learning how to live this new life. Is to say, okay, Lord. Remember, we've been dealing with this before, Colossians 2, 6. In the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, now walk in him. Lord, your word says that I'm to say no to ungodliness, sinful and worldly passions. I tried. And I did good for like a week, maybe a day. I keep falling on my face. Could you do this? Because the Bible actually says that it's God, Philippians 2.13, who works in us to will or to give us the desire and to act according to his good purpose. It's God himself in the same way which said, you can't save yourself, I will do it. You can't live the Christian life, I will do it. So we have to learn to take the baby steps by saying, all right, Lord, I would like you to give me the grace to say no to this. You say no through me. I believe you will. And you watch. When you rely on Him and you rest in Him, the same way in which you trusted Him for salvation and He took over, in that same way when you rest on Him for living the Christian life, He will take over. He really, really will. Now, we about to hear something? I heard a noise over here. Sorry. You, we just breathing out loud? It wasn't you. All right. Go back to, go back to uh, Romans chapter 6. Paul then uses an illustration from slavery. And he even apologizes, in a sense, for using the slavery illustration. You see there in verse 19, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. But part of the reason why this illustration from slavery is not the best illustration is we're not slaves. We're free to choose whether or not we obey him or whether or not we, we, we choose not to obey him. All right? But he used this illustration of slavery. He said, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you, look at this word, wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves now to righteousness. All right? Christian obedience is not forced... It's not legalistic. It's willing. And that's a key part of learning how to live this new life as well. Is understanding now, I have a choice whether or not I'm going to live for self or whether or not I'm going to live for God in this new life. I have a choice. I have it every day. I have it throughout the day. If I choose to not live for God, is He going to get me? And one person shaking their head. Thank you. 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 Thank we will, we will lose some of the closeness of our fellowship with him. For example, let me give you an example. I've used this illustration in times past, but I have two daughters and, and, and a son. And let's just say one of my daughters, as they're getting a little older now, decides she wants to date this guy that I think is a bum. As her father, I would say to her, I don't want you dating him. He's no good. Stay away from him. Now, she has the choice to either obey or not obey. If she chooses not to obey and to still see the button, will I say she's no longer my daughter? No. They will Hopefully not. Yeah, they're all going to be going to When she comes home from that date, will things be smooth between me and her? Will there be some friction? <laughs> there will be some friction between us. She is still my daughter. I still love her. I still care for her. I will grieve because of the damage she's going to be doing to herself down the road as well. But it will never change our relationship in the sense of who she is. But there will be... Well, the Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit by which you're saved. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. There will be times where you, if you choose not to, it will not affect your standing with God. 
Think of the prodigal son story. Did the father in that story know what the son was going to do when the son asked for the money? He knew. And he let him go. And when the son came to his senses, the first thing the son thought was, here's what I have to do in order to get back into right standing with my father. But he didn't understand his relationship. He didn't have to do anything except come back. And again, it's a picture of Christ. He forgave it all. There is no forgiveness needed. Right. We just have to accept it. It does not have to be granted again. We don't have to ask for it again. It's just there. Like we talked about last week, remember? There's not this bank account of forgiveness that you have to you can tap into now because of Jesus. It's already been forgiven. Everything you ever do has already been forgiven. As you just said, you just acknowledge that forgiveness. If we confess our sins, that's all we have to do is acknowledge it. Thank Him for His forgiveness. For years I used to pray, Lord, I did this again. Would you please forgive me? Lord, I know I've asked you to forgive me for this before, but would you please forgive me again? And subconsciously thinking that pretty soon, I know we said His account doesn't run out, but it's got to be getting low. <laughs> exactly, you know? But now I've come to understand it's already been forgiven. And when, in that story of the prodigal son, the father run and runs and hugs him and kisses him before he even says a word. When Jesus met back up with Peter after Peter denied him, when he met with him there on the shore, did Peter ever ask for forgiveness? It's about the relationship. It's about the relationship. It's about the relationship, not your position, not your standing. And so, understand, you have the choice of whether or not you are going to live now for God, offer yourself as a slave, if you will, to Him. Slave term, not the greatest term, but back then slaves could choose to serve a master if they wanted to. You have the ability now to choose whom you're going to serve. Yes? If you write down the word obedience, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E, cross off the last three letters and the first three letters, you're left with die, D-I-E, in the middle. Mm -hmm. You have to die to yourself and say, I am going to live for Him. I'm going to give it all to him and let him do it. That's exactly the, the letting him do it is the key key part. The letting him do it is the key part. Alright? So with this slave terminology, you know it's not perfect, still kinda works. Go to First Corinthians chapter six and you'll see why. So let me read verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do you see the seeming contradiction? You were bought with a price, yet you choose whether or not you're going to honor Him with your body. You're not your own. You, you belong to Him. The word Lord, by the way, in the Greek is the word kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S. It means owner of a possession. We are His. We've been bought with the blood of Christ. Yet, He's not a master who controls us mandatorily. He wants willing submission to Him. In the Greek, the word submission means, or submit is hypotasso, or hupotasso. It means a voluntary submission due to respect for God's design. If a husband were to say to his wife, well, the Bible says you are submit to me. But wives, submit to your husbands. If a husband ever tries to use that as a, you must do it now because the Bible says so, they're not doing it biblically because the Bible says that word submit is a voluntary submission. When it says wives, submit to your husbands, the wife gets to choose whether or not she submits. In the same way, we have been bought with a price. We are, He is our Lord. And one day, every knee is going to bow. Yet we get to choose each day whether or not we're going to serve Him. That's why the Bible says, in view of God's mercy, I beg you, beseech you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, which is me first, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so what you understand is, is you have now, because of this new creation, been given a choice. Now, for years I, 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 I've been certain to realize something. All those rules that I used to live under when I first got saved, they're not so, so bad. 
when God's perfect design. Remember when your kids were little? You had rules, did you not? Because at that point, they were not re- yet ready to handle the freedom. So you had very set rules. But as your children got older, did you not start to loosen the rules? Give a little bit more freedom, a little more responsibility, as you had trained them and grown them in the hopes that one day they would be able to live it properly? I believe God does that with us as well. I don't think he's all bothered by the fact that we sometimes get all caught up in the law. It's good for us at a start. But as we grow in our relationship with him, he wants to have us open our eyes to who we are and the freedom. Now, when you even teach on this in a church today, what is the typical reaction when you talk about the freedom we have in Christ? Don't, you don't, don't tell people that! Because we're afraid that people are going to use it as a license for sin. But I'm assuming here that most people in this Bible study are maturing in your walk with the Lord. Come to a deeper understanding of who you are in Christ. And understand that you have freedom. You're not under law. God's not judging whether or not you had your quiet time today. But as you understand who you are, begin to live Him in this love relationship, live His life through you. Um, I was talking with this guy today whose daughter is going to be graduating from high school this year. And he was talking about the fact that he is now going through this whole emotional turmoil of thinking about her whole childhood. And he remembers, he said, holding her before she even got cleaned up when she came out of his life. And I said, you didn't even wait until she got cleaned up. <laughs> he said, I, I waited until the ladies got cleaned up. He goes, I couldn't wait. I was so excited. And he said, I'm looking at my daughter now, about to graduate. And I'm picturing that little girl that I held in my hands. And he said, when I even start thinking about her life, I fall apart. He said, I melt like a mush. He said, it's actually overwhelming at times. And I asked him this question. I said, uh, how do you who are evil have the ability to love like that? Have you ever thought about the fact that when we're able to love like that, it's God helping us to see just a little bit how much He loves us? But I'd be honest with you, a lot of Christians don't understand how much they are loved by God. And we serve Him out of fear, out of obligation, out of duty, instead of a response to His love for us. I'll be honest with you, our kids don't understand how much we love them. Oh, we tell them. We hug them, we kiss them, we try to communicate it, but they don't understand. You've had children, you know it. Do they even have a clue to how much you love them? They don't have a clue. And there will be times they'll even question whether or not you even really love them when you discipline them or you make them do their homework or whatever it is. But you know what? It doesn't change anything. How many of you ever cried when your dog died? Isn't there a chance God loves you more than that? Mm-hmm. Even before we're cleaned up. Whoa, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> 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 that's definitely going to be in the sermon down the road. I think see that coming you can't disappoint God you can grieve him but I bet you he's grieved sometimes two years down the road before you do what you're going to do because he already knows you can't disappoint him so folks I want you to begin in this new life that you have 
Even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, if you're now coming to understand who you are and you're a new creation, begin to take baby steps in the fact that He loves you. That He is right now just looking at you and going goo goo, gaga, making just making all over you because you are that special. Sunday we were sitting out, I didn't have anywhere to preach this Sunday, and so I went to church with my family at First Merritt Island, and it was a gift from God. Because our daughters are in the jubilation praise team and, and student choir there uh, at, uh, at First Merritt Island, and it's a group of a bunch of kids that are in this choir leading worship, and they were chosen this week to hold the microphone and sing with the, the lead singers, if you will, and I sat there watching my two girls worship the Lord. And I just started to cry. I said, man, I love watching them praise God. I love watching them sing. And God spoke to my heart. He said, I love watching you sing too. <laughs> and it started to hit me. The more that you experience love in your life, immediately let God love you then. When you experience tears, loss, but because of love, let God love you. And as you begin to receive His love, don't worry about the rest of your life. It's going to fall into place. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So don't focus on whether or not you're doing it right. Let Him love you. And when you really let Him love you, you'll love Him so much in return, you will obey His commands. God is not judging how you're doing. You're under grace. Oh, by the way, grace helps you live it. Let me wrap up with one passage. Go to 1 John um, chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Now, if you're not sure where 1 John is, it's actually the 2 John in the New Testament, which makes 2 John, 3 John, and never mind. But um, 1 John is back by Revelation, chapter 5. Verses 18 to the end of the chapter. No commercial for next week. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. But don't get all panicked. It's not on you. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. We're going to get into that more next week. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, doesn't that last passage last seem out of place? Here, he's keeping us. Look at, look at verse uh, 18. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. And then he ends it with, keep yourselves from idols. How can you go from saying he's going to do it, now it's up to me? That's not what he's saying. Go ahead. We are the ones who put things ahead of him, and that's what idols are. Exactly. He's not saying... You go and behave yourself, as we've read it all these years. He's simply saying, let me be first in your life. Remove self from center. Remove self from center. That's what Christ says is the most important commandment. The most important commandment is love God with everything you got. So guys, He's going to do it. The one who has called you is faithful, and He will do it. It's not up to you to live the Christian life. It's up to you to rest in the one who has called you to this life and believe that he's going to do it and let him do it and live your life like he's doing it. And you'll get better when you stop trying to get better as a Christian. You're not the same old person who's been forgiven. You're a new creation. Oh, you've got to learn how to live this new life just like you had to learn how to live this life. Don't assume you know how. Baby steps. Little at a time. First thing he wants you to do is the first thing you did when your kids were little. You just poured your love into them like you wouldn't believe. They couldn't wipe their bones. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't do anything. You did it all for them. 
and you loved them and loved them and loved them and sometimes you sat there for hours just looking at their fingers. Heavenly Father is doing the same with you. You can't help yourself. You can't wipe your own bum. You can't get out of your own way. You can't do it. But He's going to teach you. You're going to enter into this relationship where you're going to grow. And one day it's going to culminate in heaven and it's all going to make sense. Oh, by the way, in these days to come, you're going to need to have that kind of a relationship with it. Not because on paper it says, but because you know it. Because you know it. You know what I anything before we wrap up? Go ahead. I was thinking earlier that we're not considered sinners in the sense. And so, and then I was thinking about like Michael Jordan plays basketball, but he's not a basketball player. I could pick up a basketball and shoot, but I'm definitely not a basketball player. We can sin, but it's not who we are. It's just something that happens. Did you hear that? She, Shannon just gave a commercial for next week. <laughs> that is where we're going next week. When you sin now as a Christian, it's not who you are. You're actually doing something against your nature. Well, you feel it too. Oh, you feel it. More so than you did before. Exactly. We'll deal with all of that. And you're going to find Paul in chapter 7 of Romans saying things I don't want to do, do. Things I don't want to do. Things I don't want to do. Things I want to do, I don't do. Who can save me from this body of flesh? And then he goes on to say, when I sin, it's not me. It's sin living in me. We'll deal with that next week. Go ahead and read up. Read up in chapter 7. Let me pray for us. Thank you again, Father, for this chance to come together. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray that this truth would sink into our hearts. Thank you for the fact that you didn't just forgive us. You gave us new life. Lord, may we understand that we need to learn how to live this new life just like we had to learn to live this life. And Lord, as a lot of us understand, we're still learning how to live this life. We're going to be continually learning how to live the new life. May we be willing to let you take us down that road a step at a time. Father, keep us from trying to run ahead and try to find out things sooner than you want us to or than we need to. Maybe be okay with sometimes we read a passage and it doesn't sink in because it might not be time for us to grasp it, but one day you'll open up our eyes to that truth. May we rest in the fact that you love us and that you are going to finish what you started. May we enter into your rest. Now, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.